Weird Times, Creepy Crimes, and Unexplained Phenomena. If it's weird and it's in Florida, it's on the SoFlo Weird Show. I'm your host and head weirdo, Mia Lorenzo. I've hit the road and headed to Central Florida. With a little help from my weird contributor and local resident, Michelle McArdle, we headed to our destination, a very unusual bookstore located on Beach Street in Daytona. The area seems quiet, clean, and charming, with a brick walkway, small boutique shops, a wine bar, and several places to eat. Head a little further down and you'll find a Braxis bookstore. Step inside and it's like you've entered a hidden vault filled with treasures 20 feet high. These are interesting. These are two paintings of a Chinese emperor and empress, and they're at least as old, they're maybe before World War I. The entryway has a glass counter covered in books, carved skulls, candles, and incense. Behind the counter, knives and swords line the walls, along with an ominous large wooden mask with menacing sharp teeth. I don't know how authentic it is, and I'm pretty sure it could be Hawaiian, but I think it's African. And my mother found that in a flea market and gave it to me when I, I was probably like 10 years old. What? And I've, and really? I've had, yeah, I've had it ever really? since. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Collecting cool stuff since yeah. you were young. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, have I still have stuff I had since I was like a little child. That's Jim Sass, the owner of the store. Jim is eccentric. He has long gray curly hair, a full beard. He wears black head to toe and skull rings. Jim has an insatiable appetite for knowledge. It's a first century Alexandrian Gnostic term referred to in early Christian anti-Gnostic writings. And knows things that I think only he knows, but he thinks I think I know, but I don't. known about this Gnostic sect of Basilides was they referred to their deity as a Braxis, but nobody knew what the word meant. In addition to the shelves, books are stacked on the floor waist high. There are handmade signs pointing you to the genre of books in each area. It appears to be chaotic organization. Mostly history, starting with Greek and Roman, European, Asian, up into American history. Then the center of the bookstore, we have all various sections. Horticulture, health, political science, sociology, uh, true crime, mysteries. When we walked in, Jim was tending to a customer. He seems to be doing a tarot card reading for a young woman. This is a perfect place to come in if you're in search of something, or maybe you just want to get lost in something. We cleared a spot around a stack of books and sat down to discuss some turbulent times in Daytona Beach history. You've been down here in this area for how long? I've had my bookstore for 18 years, but I started working in downtown Daytona around 19... 80 or 81. So I've been down here over 35 years in this little niche. You've seen, heard, and read many, many interesting, weird things, probably weird people. Yes. And you have one story in particular that you're, that we were talking about earlier, um, about the cult murder. When I first started working here in a bookstore in the early 80s, I worked with a bunch of people who were involved with a lot of things like food co-ops and free kitchens throughout the 1970s. They were like these kind of hippie types. And at that time, Main Street was probably as close as Daytona Beach ever got to having like a Haight-Ashbury type district. So there was all this stuff going on on Main Street, but it was still very much Daytona and 
uh, pretty much like Main Street was well up until the late 80s, which meant it was this weird congregation of runaways, criminals, very much a heavy biker bar scene, which it's hard to describe. Anybody that experiences Bike Week now has no idea what it was like in the 80s. <laughs> You've experienced because, that, Michelle. <laughs> yeah, I think it's gotten a little bit cheesier over the years. Uh, it, it, it's not, not Now it's like soccer dads. Back then it was literally outlaws, hell's yeah. angels, pagans, gypsy jokers. There was violence. There were, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It was Sons of Anarchy is like the Disneyland. I always describe Daytona Beach as like New Orleans with all of the sleaze and none of the charm because New Orleans has high ground, whereas Daytona Beach doesn't really have any high ground. Now it has a little bit of high ground back then. It had none whatsoever in terms of like culture or any anything that demands an IQ I mean, you walk around now, you wouldn't, you walk around now out there, you wouldn't know it. It's like a little cobblestone street. It's like the Disney princess version. And they renovated Beach Street in 1988. And prior to that, I have people that have lived and worked in some of the worst areas in Daytona Beach. Their family businesses were there or whatnot. And their consensus was at that time, Beach Street was the worst neighborhood in Daytona Beach. Yeah. On the block that we're on now is where the bookstore I first started working at for someone else was was in the early 1980s and uh say across if you just map out this block in your imagination across the street on us1 we have the greyhound station on this actual block where was the baby hotel the crook's den which were these notorious low rent flop house heroin addicts alcoholics prostitutes um good namesake yeah two other bars they recently burned to the ground and there was like a collective sigh of relief and the crime rate just dropped 80 percent the property oh, values yeah. just wow. went up 60 percent because this place burned uh but then one block away was the palmetto hotel they were equivalent hotels there were like th- three large places where you could go and have a room to sleep in and still afford whatever vices that you had right and also on this block the no-tell motels exactly (laughs) and also on this block back then was the blood bank so you had three bars oh and the city bus terminal was on this block so you had the greyhound terminal the city bus terminal it was a recipe for a disaster And then there was this period of time where I forget what it was that Reagan did, where they sort of defunded mental health. Oh, oh remember no. Remember that in the 80s? Yeah. Something yes. happened? Yes, I do and remember. So all these people got out on the streets, which means yes. in Daytona, they're going to all be on beach streets. So you had this, your normal indigenous transient population combined with these people that really belonged in some sort of medical facility. It sounds like a cliche, but it was like something out of the Bible, you know, yeah. it's just people laying around and not you know they're sick and they're uh crazy and shouting at people that aren't there and punching the walls and doing all this other stuff so that was just kind of the vibe down here back then and then they cleaned it up and as much as i hate to say it i kind of miss it (laughs) (laughs) business like really innovative businesses could come down here and rent a place like this size or bigger for like five hundred dollars a month wow it was insane yeah like one of the bookstore that i i ran was approximately the same size with another room yeah and the rent was 495 oh my god are you kidding me how many how many square feet in here oh i don't i'm not good at that Oh. I don't know. <laughs> it's big. It's Let's big, just yeah. say it's big. There's, there's a whole other side, actually. Oh, there is? And yeah, the, the ceiling is... How, how high would you... Yeah. 
Um, 20 feet? 20 feet, yeah, yeah I would about, say 20 feet. About 20 maybe. feet. Yeah. <laughs> and the books almost touch the ceiling. Yeah. So so tell me about this um, oh, crazy yeah, story totally that you have. Oh, yeah, I totally digressed. That's okay. You gave us a good it, picture. <laughs> I, I kept hearing there, there were all these, like, urban urban folklore stories where people always said oh yeah there were these weird satanic cults operating around the main street area and they were abducting homeless or indigent people because nobody would notice which is highly possible because over the years i've known police that would talk about how frequently uh the homeless population they kill each other and you know they, they so you'll find a body in a dumpster behind an adult bookstore on madison and us1 however many times a month or a year or whatever oh and these are people with no identification or anything right. it's not in the newspaper right john doe jane doe and the original version of the story was that there were two guys who were these drug fueled self-styled satanic cult guys that were doing rituals and behind all this stuff that was going on in the beachside and so the story i heard was that they had been sexually abused by a counselor at some sort of youth camp or possibly a detention center Center years earlier. Then by happenstance, when they're in the midst of doing all this stuff in the neighborhood, and they may or may not have been behind disappearances of homeless people, so they may have been killing other people, they're in this grocery store, and they see the guy who molested them when they right. were in detention camp or youth camp or whatever it was. And so they went outside and waited for him to come out. And when they came out, they put him in the trunk of their car and took him back to their house where they had like a ritual altar set oh up in their God. basement and, and tortured him to death. That's yeah. the original version of the story that I heard. Uh, then I found out later when I got on the news and found the actual, you know, Google News and found the actual news articles, uh, the actual story is even a little bit creepier than that. There were two main perpetrators. One was a 17-year-old guy named Otis uh, from, I think he was from Greenville, South Carolina, and I forget the other perpetrator was an older guy who was like a semi-indigenous guy. They were living in some kind of weird housing. It was like some sort of uh, absentee landlord, low-rent housing thing. I can't remember if it was on Grand, I think it was on Grandview Avenue. They had abducted this 17-year-old kid who was working as a making change in an arcade on the boardwalk. And the kid was a 17-year-old kid. He was from California. And um, I think they roped him in under the auspices of doing, you know, getting high together or doing some kind of drug deal. They get him back to their house where they do go into the basement and it's a lockdown scenario and they basically torture the guy at a satanic altar for, I forget how long, days. It might have been a week. Right? It was like a horrific story okay here's the here's the even more horrific part of the story is the guy that they tortured to death was like a developmentally disabled person who had been in a special school in central florida where he was actually sexually abused oh, okay and so there and so yeah. this is kind of how the story became yeah. muddled through yeah, the exactly. telling, right yeah it was interesting at the time he was abducted and murdered and murdered he was set to testify against this boys school oh, so okay. he never lived to testify right. against the boys school there were two main perpetrators but ultimately i forget as many as 10 or 12 people were arrested in relationships so apparently there were people in and out while the guy was being tortured and they're all doing drugs and they're all doing like witchcraft rituals and stuff like that at the time it confirmed a two-year-old prediction by volusia county sheriff ed duff who said that a series of grave desecrations, cemetery black masses, and animal sacrifices oh could lead to a human being sacrificed if these people don't calm down 
No, and, it's true. Don't they start with with? Well, yeah, most. Isn't ser- that what Dahmer did? Jeffrey Dahmer started with animals. Yeah, there's like a big trio with the serial killers. It's the 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 three big signs that you look for is that they torture and kill animals. They have bedwetting issues and arson. They'll burn stuff. Oh my God. That's on your serial killer profiling stuff. So, Jim, have you ever had any encounters with any? Um unsavory characters that you'd like to mention? That's daily. <laughs> um, any daily particularly occurrence. unsavory and characters? And you're, not, and you're not talking about present company. <laughs> There's a period of time where I lived in Port Orange and commuted back and forth to work in downtown Daytona Beach. If you want specifics, it was the number seven Votran bus, South Nova. <laughs> I would pick it up at uh, Palmetto and Magnolia and take it to Madeline in Port Orange. And we would go down South Nova and uh, there was a period of time I knew the bus driver uh, on a a first name basis because I rode the bus to and from work every day and we would stop in front of a place in South Nova called the Embassy Lounge. And maybe three or four times there was a woman who got on the bus who was one of these, I would almost say a stereotypically Daytona style person. So dirty you know i'm not judging but uh the alcohol is seeping out of their pores oh, yeah. i don't know if you've ever smelled oh that. yes and i have like, and obviously drunk obviously enraged and just talking mm-hmm. in the you know, strings of enraged profanity for one thing or another but the one time in particular that stuck into my mind was the bus driver failed to use the hydraulic step he, he didn't lower the step for her to step onto she had to step up just a little bit higher to get on the bus and she immediately just started laying into calling every name in the book and then she sits down in the first seat that's facing the front store and she just the entire from there on to the time I got off the bus before she did just laid into him I don't know how to describe it chicken necking you know what I'm talking about? Like when she's talking, she, yeah, yeah, start, yeah exactly. you know, <laughs> her bobbing her head. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the bob and weave. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, it was Eileen Warnos. <gasps> oh. Yeah. It was Eileen Warnos, and I found out from the bus driver because at this time, w- that bus, after I got off the bus, it would go out on Dunlawton, and its last stop, she would get off at the end of Dunlawton where she would walk to I-95, which was where she would hitchhike, which was where she picked up a number of right. victims that she ultimately Johns. killed. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And what was interesting, that where the police got the original identification and tip of where to find her around the last resort bar came from a bus local bus driver. Because they were asking, because they knew she rode the bus because she didn't have any money or anything like that. And it was one of the Votran drivers that said, oh, yeah, I know her. I always drop her off down at the oh last resort. Gosh. And that's how the police got on to the last resort was from the bus driver. So I was in kind of this, this close. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're still sitting here. <laughs> well, I wasn't uh, taking her out to the woods yeah, to exactly. <laughs> have a date or whatever the euphemism is. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, wow, that's it's, creepy. It's interesting to, to hear that she was so outwardly angry and aggressive when normally the profile of a serial killer, you would see people are like, oh, you, we had no idea. They're yeah. so nice on the exterior. They, yeah, they might, like hide might, it. Yeah. She might have been, but she just came out of a bar. Yeah. Her, she, her, so she was her, always hostile. Getting, was, her lo- getting her load on to go out to the highway to do whatever was going to happen. And she yeah. had a horrible life. I mean, I'm not going to just. Did. I'm not uh, yeah. just going to say, oh, yeah. she came out of nowhere, naughty her. I mean, no, no. she was created. She, yeah. 
One of the most notorious female serial killers and longtime prostitute, Eileen Warnos murdered seven men she picked up in Florida between 1989 and 1990. She endured years of childhood abuse and abandonment and began her life of prostitution early, performing sexual acts by the time she was 11 years old. When I saw the Charlize Theron film, yeah, uh, and I think I I don't I don't remember what I read around it, but I think she actually went and met her in prison because I think she was still alive when they made the film. She nailed her body language precisely. Yeah, yeah. precisely. That I don't know how much film footage exists of Eileen Warnos that could have been studied, but uh, she definitely studied yeah. her yeah. because that's the, her whole demeanor and ad, like just physical comportment and attitude that was like nonverbal. Mm-hmm. She had that down. In the 2003 biographical film Monster, Charlize Theron's portrayal of Eileen Warnos won her numerous awards, including an Oscar and Golden Globe for Best Actress. In the following scene, Eileen confesses to her lover she has killed a man. My last John, all right? I fucking killed my last John. I was raped and beat to fucked and was gonna get killed. But I would, I didn't want to lose you. And all I could think about was how for the rest of your fucking life you think I'd stood you up. And how you never know that I fucking meant to be there. And I didn't want to die thinking that maybe, maybe you could have loved me. So I killed him. I shot him, all right? I fucking shot him. down, all right? No, no now you know me, Sal. No, now you fucking know me, all right? So just Please. run like the fucking wind, okay? No. Eileen never saw the movie. She was executed by lethal injection in 2002. One of my favorite books that I've sold, I cannot remember the name of the author, but it was a Ted Bundy book, and Ted Bundy came through here. And he was a he was a trial in Delant. I think he what he got caught in like '79, went to trial, and I don't think he was executed to what the late '80s, early '90s, something yeah, I think like that. So. Yeah. Theodore Robert Bundy was a serial killer who kidnapped, raped, and murdered numerous girls in the 1970s. It was reported that he had taken the lives of at least 30 victims across seven states. But he lived a double life. Though he tortured, bludgeoned, raped, and strangled his victims, often mutilating their bodies, some described him as handsome and charismatic, and it is with these traits he could win the trust of his victims. He was an honor student, had a degree in psychology, and went on to law school, though he later dropped out. After numerous arrests and a couple of jailbreaks, he made his way to Florida. And just two weeks after his arrival, he broke into a sorority house at Florida State University and attacked five women, killing two of them. He eventually got picked up for reckless driving, and officers linked him to the FSU crimes. Bundy was executed in Florida's electric chair on January 24, 1989. One day a woman walks in and I'd never met her before. I didn't know who she was, but she came in and she said, oh, uh, she dropped a name that was a very good friend of mine. She said, a friend of mine said you would want these. She goes, uh, I don't care what you do with them. I just want it out of my house. And so what it was, it was a little paperback book and I think it was called The Killer Next Door. And it was signed by Ted Bundy. It was signed, it was wow. signed by oh, Ted Bundy. <laughs> and this is before Ted, this was before the rise of murderabilia, mm-hmm. where people were really collecting yeah. murder memorabilia. Yeah. So but there's not a lot of signed Bundy stuff. No, floating, I wouldn't floating think so. Around. 
what was fun, her name was Anne, and he inscribed the book to her. And on the title page, he crossed out the word killer in the title. And he the, his inscription said uh, to Anne, I recommend this book for its dullness and inaccuracies. <laughs> Signed, Ted Bundy. <laughs> Do you still have the book? No, I had it for years, and I sold it uh, last year after we got flooded because I needed to get some money coming in. And how much? Can you ask? Uh, I I can't remember exactly. I think I was asking seventeen hundred for it. Wow. And I think I, if I remember correctly, I think I got thirteen. Well, that's great. It was a good offer. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it was legit, and. Uh, um, probably get even more now that there's a whole netflix series coming out yeah geez, i kind of <laughs> wish i would have waited but uh uh he's kind of funny and from what i remember he was smart he was brilliant he was very very smart he had a lot of people yeah. fooled yeah yeah there's an interesting backup that later on he came out with all these like quote unquote confessions regarding uh, how pornography influenced him. And at this time, we had a particularly uh, enthusiastic uh, state attorney named John Tanner, who went on a local crusade. This was in national news because he went on this local crusade against pornography. And so he was shutting down video stores, he was shutting down blockbuster video stores because they had like the wall. Uh, what it last tango in Paris? And we were talking. Mm-hmm. We're not even talking mm-hmm. about pornography. We're yeah, talking right, about like right. <laughs> mainstream films that showed across the country in theaters that right, just right. you know were a little bit too extravagant for uh, him to be comfortable with. And uh, what was interesting was he's the, he sort of insinuated himself close to Bundy. And if you Google online, you can find pictures of him and his wife with Bundy in prison talking to them. You know, so un, under his sort of tutelage is when Bundy was coming out making all these statements about pornography because it, he could use it to fuel his case. Ah, that, okay. See, serial killers, yeah, the pornography yeah. causes no yeah. systematic child abuse from square one causes yeah. this. Yeah. But uh, a funny footnote to that was that um, our, uh, a good friend of mine who owns a, a record store locally asked another good friend of mine who was this young guy who was a customer in both the record store and the bookstore at the time and, and uh, he was just a high school kid who we all knew. Uh, he was maybe 16 years old covertly at the behest of this cunning record store owner he got the 16 year old guy to go into john tanner's office and request his information portfolio on the evils of pornography which he had available to bolster his case mm-hmm. but the deal is within this it, it, it's like the the congressional book that they had on pornography yeah the illustrated version <laughs> ha- has pictures of all of the exhibits that were before congress it's there there's worse pornography in there than you can find in any <laughs> pornography the bestiality yeah. Yeah. seriously yeah. there's all this stuff in there and the stuff that you can't just go out and buy because you get shut down for buying it and this is a government publication yeah and um anyway so the 16 year old kid got the portfolio which includes pornography and so they took it straight to the newspaper and said oh 16 year old goes to john tanner's office oh my and so it's kind of funny <laughs> yeah that is funny <laughs> oh my god so for any more weird stories make sure you stop by abraxas books um and talk to the owner jim sass In keeping with our topic of weird, ritualistic, and satanic misdeeds, I look no further than my collection of stories from Florida's master of the weird, Charlie Carlson. In his book, Strange Florida Two, here are two interesting stories. In February 2006, a woman arriving from Haiti at the Fort Lauderdale International Airport was arrested when airport security screeners discovered a human skull in her luggage. 
the grizzly skull still contained flesh, teeth, and hair with organic material inside the cranial cavity. The 30-year-old woman, a Haitian-born U.S. citizen, explained the skull was to be used in voodoo rituals in belief that it would ward off evil spirits. She explained that the skull had been purchased from a man in Haiti. One person suggested, since voodoo is considered a religious practice, she ought to be granted constitutional rights protecting her freedom of religion. Whatever the case, customs agents charged her with failing to declare a human head and transporting hazardous material on an air carrier. Voodoo is secretly practiced in Florida's Haitian communities. Actually, after a quick internet search of voodoo practice in Florida, you can find an extensive list on Yelp. So at this point, I think the secret is out of the bag. And as for the human skull, I could not find any proof that these remains were ever identified. Next, we have Tampa's Devil Zone. Beginning at Egmont Key and extending just beyond the Skyline Bridge, there's an area of Tampa Bay in which strange things occur. The zone roughly covers about 12 square miles and is known by some fishermen and boaters as the Devil Zone. It's sort of a mini Bermuda Triangle, infamous for a high number of boat engine failures, drownings, suicides, homicides, weird creatures, maritime accidents, failure of navigation devices, sightings of phantoms, and unidentified flying objects. Although skeptics scoff at the claims, Tampa's Devil Zone has been the subject of talk radio shows and is mentioned in many books. Here's a little information about Egmont Key. This state park is located at the mouth of Tampa Bay and is primarily a wildlife refuge. It is only accessible by boat, but it has a unique natural and cultural history, including a lighthouse that has stood since 1858. During the 19th century, the island served as a prison camp for captured Seminoles at the end of the Third Seminole War and was later occupied by the Union Navy during the Civil War. In 1898, as the Spanish-American War threatened, Fort Dade was built on the island and remained active until 1923. Some of the strange activities that have been reported are the ghost sightings of Civil War soldiers that roam the island and the sounds of screams in the distance. By day, you can enjoy the historic sights and trails, but when the sun sets, beware. Know of a weird place or have a weird tale to tell? Go to SoFloWeird.com. I'm Mia Lorenzo. Thank you for listening to the SoFlo Weird Show. This has been a Sideshow Charlie production, inspired by Florida's master of the weird, Charlie Carlson. Stay weird, everybody. Stay weird, everybody.